And open your Bibles, please, to Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 18 is we're in a series on Abraham and Sarah walking by faith in the midst of this rather remarkable conversation between Abraham and Jesus, who has come uh, to meet with Abraham as a friend meets with a friend. And so we come now to the end of that discussion. Um, And we're going to begin to read the Word of God in verse 22. And this is God's Word. So the men turned from there and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous in the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I am who am but dust and ashes. Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. Again, he spoke to him and said, Suppose forty are found there. He answered, For the sake of the forty, I will not do it. Then he said, Oh, let the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Suppose thirty are found there. He answered, I will not do it if I find thirty there. He said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose twenty are found there. He answered, For the sake of twenty, I will not destroy it. Then he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose ten are found there. He answered, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham, and Abraham returned to his place. Join me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful that we have your word that stands forever. So, Father, speak to us by this word now as your spirit works, we pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I love my new t-shirt. I got a camp that summer, a basketball camp. It was gold. It had blue lettering. And uh, I couldn't resist wearing it to the church's annual Sunday school Labor Day picnic. Uh, I got out of the car and was tasked with carrying the baked beans. And uh, I, I stumbled and the baked beans jumped out onto my shirt and the sauce saturated the front of this shirt. Uh, the shirt I was going to wear to school the next week, uh, when mom washed it the next Monday, because back in those days moms just washed on Mondays in my neighborhood. Um, but after the picnic spill, the search was, shirt was now saturated. It was forever changed. The impact of those beans on that shirt was well forever. And I never got to wear it to school. Now, Abraham did not spill any beans, but walking by faith, grace has saturated his life, such that his life has been changed absolutely forever. What I want to suggest is that change that we see this morning is an internal change. We're talking about a changed heart. He got a new heart of love, a heart transformed by God's love into a heart of love. Given time, this heart, of course, always leads to holiness. It always makes us more like Jesus, not less like Jesus. It leads to obedience, 
Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Not by way of performance, not by way of perfection. We'll never be perfect people as long as we're in the flesh. We do battle with sin. The better word is reflection. Grace makes our hearts a reflection of the heart of God. Grace leads us to reflect God's image to the world around us. Grace allows that for us. A grace-gripped, grace-saturated heart starts a new heart for God, and it reflects God's heart, and it always also leads to prayer. So that you see the impact of God's grace in Abraham's heart and how it goes into this prayer. Let's, let's go to the text. I'm going to start with the opportunity to pray. Uh, we'll set the stage. Look at what, what God's doing, beginning in verse 20. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and the war is great and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see where they've done altogether according to the outcry that's come to me. And if not, I'll know it. So the man, men, men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. As we said last week, the Lord stood before Abraham. Now let's be clear here. Uh, this prayer is God's idea. God's the one who starts the conversation. Uh, he's the one who said in verse 18, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And then he tells him what he's going to do. Uh, now he's standing there waiting in front of Abraham. Friends, all of God's prayer, all of our prayers rather, uh, they're all God's idea. Whether we realize it or not, all prayer is initiated by God. He begins the conversation with us. And so Abraham's transformed heart responds to God's initiative, and he prays. Psalm 139 tells us, even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. So prayer is God's gift to us. God desires to hear us pray. My lack of prayer is my loss. Prayer allows us to connect with the heart of God. Uh, this is the, the, the kind of intimacy we see that Abraham and Jesus share in this passage. Now, it certainly wasn't the first question that popped in my mind when I studied this, but the longer I looked, couldn't help but, but ask myself the question, how long is the silence between verses 22 and 23? How much time passes? The angels have walked away. Uh, Abraham's now all alone with Jesus. They're standing on the Judean hillside. They're looking out over the Jordan River Valley. Some suggest it's remarkably like uh, Adam and Eve walking with God in the Garden of Eden. And there's silence. In this moment of a quiet intimacy between friends, looking out over God's beautiful creation, as well as human development. You know, I'd say probably around 40 years ago, it became somewhat popular uh, among younger people to bash the song in the garden, uh, as well as some called it sort of a sentimental warbling. All right. Now, if you don't know that old gospel song, you're missing something, but it pictures this meeting with Jesus in the silence of a garden in the early morning, talking with him friend to friend. And no, I don't think it typically it's the best song to use in a worship service. Uh, we use it sometimes at funerals. But like a lot of Christian music that's not necessarily suitable for worship, it's, it's good we can enjoy outside of, of worship. Uh, it conveys a truth. 
And this song does. It conveys the privilege we have to meet with Jesus alone, that he does talk with us, that he does assure us that I am his own. And friends, that again, that privilege is grace. And we need this time alone with Jesus. Because indeed we go out and live in what the song calls properly a world of woe. Now, it's hardly the greatest exegetical point ever made, but may I suggest that uh, still we, we need time to be quiet before the Lord. Perhaps one of the greatest gifts that you could give a young mother on Mother's Day is what? The gift of time alone. All right? Time alone. They're in great need of that. And this is a very busy world. Uh, I suspect as things are getting back to normal, we may sometime look back on the summer, late spring, early summer of 2020 as a, well, as a time of quiet. Uh, And we do need to take steps to make sure we have quiet with God. So it's after the silence that Abraham pours out his heart to Jesus, who stands before him in this amazing prayer. By the way, this is the first time content is given to any of the prayers in Scripture. And so why is Abraham praying? Well, it's because Jesus has confided in, in him, his friend, that he's come to check out Sodom and the other cities of the plains. Uh, and the implication is he's coming to deal with what he finds there. And so Abraham has been given this opportunity by Jesus anticipates what Jesus will see. And so he dares to speak. He dares to intercede for these people with God, with Jesus, just as a friend talks with a friend. So Abraham prays because he understands his world. Verse 23, Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? All right, Abraham knows history. He knows the involvement of God with his world. He knows what Adam and Eve did and that God immediately came to the garden to check it out. He knows that Cain killed Abel, that Abel's blood cried out to God from the earth. He knows that God judged the world in Noah's day and that only Noah, of all the people on the face of the earth, was found to have grace favor with the Lord. And based on that, only he and his family were saved. He knows about the judgment of the Tower of Babel because of the wholesale rebellion against God and that God came down to see. Likewise, he's reasonably well acquainted with the city of Sodom. He knows the king of Sodom personally. He knows a lot of people in Sodom. He rescued them. He's already been a blessing to Sodom and the cities of the plain by rescuing them militarily from the Mesopotamian River Alliance. He knows what God's going to find in Sodom. Very wicked people who have not heeded God's warning them. And God had warned them with, with being captured and Abraham delivering them. He'd warned them with the words of Melchizedek that the king of Sodom heard. And he warned them with Lot. And yet the cry of the oppressed in Sodom, the cry of the abused in Sodom, it's cried out to God. They've, he's heard those cries as surely as he heard this, the cries of Abel's blood. You know, mothers have a 
particular ability to hear the cries of their children, even the silent cries. Likewise, God hears the cries that are going up from our cities today where the crime rate is soaring. God hears the cries from the COVID-ravaged streets of India. He hears the cries of the abused and the oppressed, the cries of the Uyghur Muslims and in China and the Buddhist nuns in Tibet. He hears the cries of women and girls and men and boys being sexually trafficked on the streets of our nation. Here's a cry today from Kabul, Afghanistan, of 50 families crying out whose daughters were killed in a bomb attack as they left school yesterday. God has a concern for the people of Sodom, even as God will declare years later about the people of Nineveh. That's why he has sent Abraham, Melchizedek, and Lot. God has a concern for any righteous people living in the midst of such wickedness, especially Abraham's nephew, Lot. Abraham understands his world, and he knows what God means when he speaks of the cries against Sodom. So Abraham's grace, saturated heart, reacts with compassion. Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. We then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous who are in it. What I want us to see here is the compassion of Abraham's heart is a reflection of God's heart. God says in Ezekiel 18, 23, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Uh, Here's the point. Abraham does, does not have a heart for Sodom because he's such a caring person, a wonderful person. He doesn't have a heart for the loss because it's come naturally to him. He has a heart for the loss because he knows his God and he knows the end of the wicked. And because he knows his God and because he knows what the wicked deserve and receive, his heart is moved to intercede. Grace has saturated Abraham's life. And we know Abraham's anticipating the heavenly city made by God. And he wants others to know that as well. We could say that Abraham's desiring here is nothing less than the triumph of God's grace. When Paul speaks of that grace in 2 Corinthians 4, the message paraphrase puts it this way, more and more grace, more and more people, more and more praise. In other words, the more people who are transformed by the grace of God, the more worshipers of God there will be. Our heart's desire must be for the triumph of God's grace in the lives of people all over the world. But sadly, Sodom seems tone deaf to the grace of God. So while there's a prayer here for gospel advancement, it's also a prayer which reveals Abraham's counting. uh, What he's counting on is the preserving presence of the people of God. That God might spare Sodom. And notice this is a plain... If there's just 50 righteous people, 50, living as the salt of the earth, living as the light of the world. So Abraham prays with incredible boldness 
Suppose five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five? He said, I'll not destroy it for the, if I find 45 there. Again, he spoke to him, suppose 40 are found there. And for the sake of 40, I'll not do it. Oh, let not the Lord be angry. I'll speak. Suppose 30 are found there. I'll not do it if I find 30 there. But I've undertaken to speak to the Lord. Suppose 20 are found there. For the sake of 20, I'll not destroy it. Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak again but this once. Suppose 10 are found there. All right, Abraham's not performing here. All right, this is his heart. It's a heart set apart by God to be a blessing to the nations. And so he's, he's seeking to be what he is. God makes us a blessing to the nations. And we're to seek to be what we are. Abraham's not trying to earn an attaboy from God. He's not trying to impress the world here. There's nobody in the world here to hear him. Some say, well, he's, he's bargaining with God. <coughs> but that's not the case. Uh, he's not trying to play let's make a deal. Why is Abraham so bold? Why does it seem like he's pushing God? Yes, his passion for God, his compassion for God's world is at work here. But it's God who ultimately encourages us to be persistent in our prayers. It's the point of Jesus in his parable and comment in Luke 11. Which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine's arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to say before him. And he will answer from within, Oh, do not bother me. The door is now shut. My children are with me in bed. Cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, they will not get up and give him anything because he's a friend. Yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given. Seeking, you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Friends, bold prayer is always persistent prayer. And you know, we spend a lot of time in our prayer praying for, for people we know who, and love who are sick. And Henry, why, closely, there, there's nothing wrong with that. We ought to do that. Uh, but we need to spend more time above on that praying for the world in which we live, praying for the missionaries, uh, praying for boldness for them, boldness for ourselves. We need to be praying for God to, to change this community we live in. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. Praying boldly for God to be at work in the great cities of this nation. Uh, because we know the cries that go up to the heart of God. Let's not just be satisfied with seeing the sick healed or comforted. To be sure, keep praying for that. Let's press on past that and be bold and asking God to work through us. Asking God to work through our children, to have streams of living water throw, flow through us so that a world thirsty for truth and meaning, for purpose, for hope, for love, for joy, will have the living water they need to drink. Uh, let's boldly pray for the unbelievers we know, the unbelievers we love. Boldly pray for God to change their lives. But it's not just a grace-fueled boldness we see here, but a grace-based humility. Verse 27, Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Abraham is bold in his prayer, but he's not demanding. 
He's full of humility. He has the right picture of himself. He's not coming to God as an equal. He's not coming to God claiming he has rights. He knows what his limits are. In fact, what we discover is Abraham stops trying to lower the number. It's not that God says no. Let me wonder, why did he stop at 10? I suggest the answer is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God in Abraham's prayer. The Holy Spirit guides our prayers. Again, remember, prayer is instigated by God. He starts it, we respond. And our response is always guided by the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's point over in Romans 8. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. When we're at a loss for words to express what's in our hearts, which can often be the case when we're praying for our children, uh, when our words are inadequate, the Holy Spirit prays for us. It's not like we've been on our own before that either. The Holy Spirit's been guiding the whole process of prayer. But the key to all this is the source of our confidence in prayer. He says, far be it from you to do such a thing, verse 25, to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just. Uh, very simply, uh, the hymn, this is my father's world, is right. This is his world. Prayers rooted in our acknowledgement of God's position. God's the creator. God is the sustainer. God is the king. God is the lawgiver. God is the judge. All of those are some of the 10,000 reasons and more to praise God. Abraham also knows God's character, that the God of all the earth will do what is just, what is right. The God of all the earth is always just and loving. Always righteous, always gracious. Great is his faithfulness. So what urges your yes is God, has, rather Abraham has a concern for the wicked in Sodom. He also has a, a concern for the righteous, any righteous person who lives in Sodom or on one of the cities on the plain. He's concerned for any righteous person who might get swept away with the wicked. And he's concerned with how people view God. And he trusts in the reality and the absolute certainty that God will do right what is just. God will do the just thing when it comes to these cities. Again, humanly speaking, it makes no sense that, that Abraham cares anything about the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. He doesn't have any friends up there with the same concern. But you see, his heart's been captured by the heart of his God. His heart has been saturated with grace and the change in Abraham, the impact on Abraham is forever. So finally, let's look at God's answer. For the sake of 10, I'll not destroy it. God, 
God says, yes, if just 10 people were found in these cities, you know, that'd be two for a city. There'd be no destruction. Now, why is that? God longs to be gracious to his people. He longs to be gracious. Peter, it's who God is. Peter, Peter says, 2 Peter 3, 9, The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise of some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So while we long for the heavenly city, God says, not yet. So we wait for the day his glory will be over all the earth. Now the conversation's over. And the Lord went his way when he finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. God ends the conversation by going his way. And that is he's going to Sodom. So what about us? In a few moments, we'll be singing the hymn, Blessed Assurance. Celebrates our story of how God has worked in our lives, affirming the joy and the peace that we have as the people of God in Christ. A joy and peace that we want our children, our community, and our world to know. And so a grace-saturated life shows itself in prayer. Prayer that's passionate for God, that's passionate for His glory. Prayer that's compassionate for God's world to know the story of Jesus and His love. So the challenge of being a mother in the 21st century, or being a father, being a covenant mother or father here in this church, the challenge of being concerned about our community, about our world, is almost overwhelming. And I know you mothers hear the cries of your children. And the cries of the children of this community and around the world. Every day the news is, is further evidence of the cries that come up before God. And He hears those cries. And friends, it's those cries that remind us of the great opportunity God's given us. And that is the opportunity to pray. Hearts that reflect the heart of God are hearts that hear the cries, seize the opportunity, and pray. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful for this bold prayer that we have of, of Abraham's. And Father, we're grateful for what it reveals to us about the change grace brings to our lives. Father, it brings a passion for you. It brings compassion for your world. Father, it's always going to happen in us. So, Father, we ask that we would, as you hear the cries, Father, we would hear those cries. And that, Father, as you seek us to pray, Father, we would respond in prayer. Father, holding up our loved ones, our community, our world, that there might be more and more grace proclaimed, the wonder of Jesus Christ that, Father, more and more people might become believers, and that, Father, more and more praise would be offered to you, our God and our King. Father, is anybody here that doesn't yet know the joy of knowing you as King, as Savior, as Lord? Father, today, show them who you are, we pray. 
And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.